This is Pop Culture Confidential, and I'm Christina Yerling Biru. If I've done something to you, just tell me what I've done to you. I just don't like you no more. Have you been rowing? Have you been rowing? Have I been rowing? Well, you are rowing. It does look like we're rowing. You can't just stop being friends with a fella. He's dull, Siobhan. But he's always been dull. Maybe this whole thing has just been about getting you to stand off for yourself. How are you, fatty? That's with your dog, is it? What did you come here for? I just came to kick your door in and give you a slagging. Why aren't you talking to Barry no more? That wouldn't be a sin, now, would it, Father? No, but it's not very nice either, is it? What I've decided to do is this. I have a set of shears at home, and each time you bother me, I'll take one of my fingers off with them. Starting from now. But shush like, Polly. You know, shush like. Yeah, I'd shush like. It's about one boring man leaving another man alone. One boring man. You're all fucking boring. Let's just call it quits. We won't call it quits. We'll call it the start. Welcome to this deep dive of Martin McDonough's Banshees of Inisherin. Now, I saw this movie at Venice. I went into it blind, knowing nothing, and I emerged clear-sighted, feeling like I knew a little more about life's big questions. So, ergo, I just adore this movie. And what makes it even better is I have so many things I want to unwrap and discuss. I also love my guest. His perspectives are always so thoughtful and insightful. And if you missed our Spielberg special, please catch up with that. It was so great. Awards Watch and In Session Films, Ryan McQuaid, thank you so much for traveling with me to the made-up Isle of Inisherin today, Ryan. Well, I think it's only perfect that we go to this made-up island. Only, though, I think we'll be a little bit more friendly to one another than the characters in this film, but... uh... Let's but uh, hope so. well, let's hope so. I mean, maybe, <laughs> maybe I'm, maybe I'm just being, I want I'm just my being Paul and Farrell. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I like to keep my hands the way they are. How do you feel about this movie? I saw it at uh, Fantastic Fest, which is a genre festival uh, in Austin, Texas, and I loved it. I thought it was so great and specific to uh, McDonough's career and everything. And I, I'm not going to get too far into it because uh, we'll get into it. But I just, I I was kind of an emotional wreck and I was really looking forward to it just because of the fact that it was sort of a homecoming for McDonough and, um, and also the reuniting of him and, oh, yeah. you know, Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson um, from In Bruges. And so, yeah, I, I ate it up. My audience ate it up. And then what was funny is that I, I went to see it again because I went to the Middleburg Film Festival in D- outside the D.C. area. And the first screening that they had was completely sold out. And then the second screening, it was like standing room to watch it. It was incredible how many people were, were vibing and into it. So, yeah, this has been a movie that 
myself, yourself, and many people have been really loving and semi-obsessing about a little bit already. Before we talk, I wanted to give a little bit of background into writer, director, producer McDonough, because it's fun to have that sort of with us when we go, just a few little factoids. So he was born the son of Irish parents, but was brought up in London. Um, in 1994, when he was 24 years old, he wrote seven plays in 10 months, and they all arrived to the theaters at That's the same insane. time. It's That's insane. insane. At 27, he was the youngest person since Shakespeare to have four plays running simultaneously in London. So this guy was a sensation, as you can tell, as a playwright. When he moved into filmmaking, he won an Oscar right away in 2004 for a short film he did called Six Shooter. Then his first full-length movie was the one you mentioned in Bruges, Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson. And that became, I don't think it was a huge hit off the bat, but just a wonderful movie that became this really cult hit he followed that four years later with Seven Psychopaths, and in 2017, he made Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. And that movie won Oscars for both Frances McDormand and Sam Rockwell. There is some controversy around that movie, and we'll get into to that as well, I'm sure. Lastly, in my little factoids here, he is in a relationship with Phoebe Waller-Bridge, and I want to have dinner at their place and converse. <laughs> <laughs> So, and now he arrives here with Banshees, um, this movie that, again, reunites the wonderful Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson. Um, we are going to spoil the feck out of this movie, so to speak, <laughs> so you know that um, going into it. But Ryan, tell us about the plot of Banshees as you see it. Well, it's, for me, it is about these uh, two gentlemen who are friends and they're lifelong friends and they find themselves at this impasse when one of them wants to abruptly end that relationship and through this then there are consequences on both sides and subsequently everyone they know including this small town of Edashiran, um is is kind of stuck in the middle of it because it is such a small community and it leads to some pretty bloody, hilarious, dangerous ends for the two of them. How do? How do, Parik? Sit somewhere else. Huh? Uh, but I have my pint there, Colm. Yes, his pint there, Colm, from when he came in and ordered his pint before. Well, okay. I'll sit somewhere else, so. Are you rowing? I didn't think we were rowing. Well, you are rowing. Well, you are rowing. He's sitting outside in his own like a watchman call. It does look like we're rowing. Uh, I suppose I'd best go talk to him soon. See what all this is fecking about. That would be the best thing. It's, I think I'd say around early 1920s. We know that there's a civil war going on because you can hear it on coming off the bigger island, it's, as you said, very, very small community where everyone knows each other. Colin Farrell plays Parik. Please excuse mm -hmm. possible Irish 
missteps mm-hmm. in my dialogue here. He lives with his sister, played by Carrie Condon, Siobhan. Brendan Gleeson, who plays Colm, have been these lifelong friends. It feels like as we just get into the movie immediately, they're going to have a beer, which they seem to usually do. They had had mm-hmm. one the day before, and Colm tells Parikh, I don't want to be friends anymore. Mm-hmm. which completely catches Parik and everyone else, as you were mentioning, off guard. There's a lot of themes going on here. For me, it feels a lot like it became like a fable. Um, what are some of the bigger themes that caught your attention? I think that for me, as I was watching this, I think Martin McDonough made the film that he wished Three Billboards was supposed to be. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Because that movie is divisive as hell, and I still have issues with it myself because of what it is saying specifically about race and America and um, injustice here, and it just felt very much and I, and i i usually don't you know wag my finger at at people that do this but it felt like an outsider's perspective and not fully being able to understand the nuances of that conversation like sam rockwell's character in that film is a giant racist and bigot and terrible human being and he almost gets if i i think he does get played off as a sympathetic hero, even though we see him do some pretty terrible things throughout that film. And I just think that movie is such a mixed bag and it left people feeling very mixed. Like, am I supposed to root for these people? Am I supposed to, am I supposed to be disgusted that these are our only heroes? Like what is, what am I supposed to feel like when I'm watching this film? Banshees of Inishirin though, feels much more perfect for our times. We live in such divided black and white conversations and arguments and way of life. That is our culture. Our culture now is we can't even have a beer with someone anymore without 100% agreeing with them. And as I was watching this film, I think we all internally have a relationship in our lives that over the last 10 years has drifted away and we sit there and we go, why, why did I drift away? What did I do? The internal struggles, the, the anxiety, your depression, whatever it may be, it comes and it starts nagging at you and nipping at you. And you yourself may or may not be like Padraig. You may yourself just let it go. But for most of us internally, what we want to do is exactly what he does, which is, Ask those questions, what did I do wrong? Try to fix it. Try to be able to um, mend the fence. But for Calm, it's, there is no mending. Calm says that if you try to be friends with me, I will start cutting my fingers off. And this is a guy who plays the violin. <laughs> yeah, and it's very important to him. It's very yeah. important to him, but that's how seriously he does not want to be friends with Park anymore. And Park will just not let it go. I mean, he doesn't no. understand it. He, he keeps nagging at him until he does start cutting his fingers off. It is the perfect depiction of Irish guilt. Mm-hmm. Because 
it's Irish guilt and you don't know what you did wrong. You know what I mean? So you're sitting there and you're like, uh, what did I do? And and you start playing the your whole relationship on a loop in your head to try to figure out what did I say? What did I do? And I mean, there's the scene, obviously, you know, where, you know, well, you liked me yesterday. You know what I mean? it was, There's the, the moment where he goes, if I was too drunk for you yesterday, I'm sorry. And I didn't mean to say what I said. And if I said it, I didn't mean it. You know what I mean? And we all have that because it's like instant regret. And no, there's there's this other angle to it, which is Colm's <clears throat> reasoning for not wanting to be friends with him anymore. Having the realization that you are in a constant loop of having to deal with the same old, same old, not being able to tap into your potential and recontextualizing your time left on this planet. And it feels very much like McDonough saying, I don't have much time left either. We don't all have it. It's not an endless bound uh, uh, or endless bounty of, of, of time that we get. So we have to make the best of it. And we have to maybe cut out all the distractions. And one of those distractions, unfortunately, is his best friend. And so you see this very cold way of doing it. And what I love about the film is this idea of what is nice. The idea of of what is proper. And because in in our world, and you know this, in our world, there is no such thing as nice. Especially here in like America with politics and relationships and even family dynamics that people have had because of, you know, the former president of the United States or the current president of the United States or law people or, you know, issues that go on in this country that are that are, you know, passed because of barbaric ideas and and people divide themselves to the point in which, like, we're literally a couple weeks from Thanksgiving here in the States and. How many people are going to be able to sit opposite one another and have a conversation, have a beer, have with the a slice of turkey? Right exactly. Yeah. This movie is like perfect slice of turkey for this kind of uh, because of this kind of idea. And also, too, it, it, it's great for like a creative because you sit there and go, how much time do you have? Cut that out. It's also wickedly funny and um and violent the way anything Martin McDonough's ever done before. The thing about this that I think makes it so genius is that you can bring the sort of fable-ish philosophy that you want to it. You have something like the Civil War, the theme of two brothers in the war, two friends suddenly mm-hmm. have to turn against each other. And at the end of this movie, you kind of feel like there's no going back. Then you have what you're talking about, which I think is so interesting, because Park is such a, he's so nice, he's so content in his way, mm-hmm. he doesn't want to leave in a Sharon, he likes his animals, he has his donkey, he has his horse, his sister, who's played fantastically by Carrie Condon, she wants mm. out of here. She wants more out of life. And that's what I think that Calm comes to realize. Then you have the artist. Mm. Brendan Gleeson's character, Colm, even says, do you remember anyone in history who's been nice? We have this theme running in Tar as well this year. Mm-hmm. You know, the artist versus his art. And, and does a genius have to be a bully? You know, Bergman was a bully, but he's still a genius. And, and I think he feels like Park is pulling him down. 
Then you have the theme of guilt, which is something that Martin McDonough has been doing in in Bruges as well. I mean, that's a huge theme where he, you know, kills a child. And what does it mean? Why, why are we choosing what we're doing with our chosen professions in that case, mm-hmm. being hired killers? And of course, male toxicity. This is the way they deal. And that's what his sister is so good at seeing through and saying, all of you are boring and all of you mm-hmm. are faking assholes. And mm-hmm. I just think he, he weaves into the script and to the actors so simply and so much like a fable that you're just following along because you don't know, you don't realize that he's actually going to start cutting every single finger off his head. No, yeah. You don't you don't see that really coming. You think it's you think you're like Padre. You think it's like a joke. Of course he wouldn't you, do that. Of course he wouldn't do it because he loves his violin. He's been you know practicing, you know, and kind of almost doing it right in front of him almost because he doesn't have a choice. Um, but then you you know you have these other characters, and I I think um, Barry Keegan who plays uh, Dominic in this film, who is this you know. It's it's funny. I was watching it and I was thinking about, you know, sort of relationships in my life. And it, it reminded me of some some people that I knew that that were very sweet, very, you know, much like Dominic, very, <laughs> very dumb in certain points um, and, and not as seasoned in the world. But also, too, it's it's Padre can, can't see that a friend is right there in front of him that actually wants to spend time with him, that actually wants to be a part of his life. Um, might even be want to be a part of his sister's life, to be honest with you. And because he's so fascinated by the idea of why no one wants to be with me. Like, why doesn't Calm want to be it and has to go to the extent of bugging him, getting drunk and saying things that are in, like that are going to escalate it and get important. The whole town is telling him to stop and his refusal of wanting to listen to him or it's a or it's a brief moment of of pause and then it jumps right into it because you can't help yourself and i think too it's it's so he misses dominic he misses that he misses you know the fact that siobhan is is he takes her kind of for granted a little bit too and it ultimately leads to this loneliness this isolation this not taking what we have in this world and holding it tight. And that's right in front of us. Like there's a scene where Dominic and, and, um, and Siobhan and, and Padraig and they're all there. And he's thinking about calm the whole time. And he's not seeing that there's a table full of people there, but the issue is not being dropped. And we are all at fault for doing this. This is a very relatable thing in my life where I can't drop an issue. And my wife is like, please stop talking about it. Please stop. Like, move the hell on. And so it was, it's very relatable. But then the way McDonough is able to weave this story, this fable, as you mentioned, it leads it down to last resorts. And Podrick basically ends up like calm, where he has to really go to a dark place because I think, well, they're talking about depression. And anxiety of someone's death, of his death, and he's telling this to priests. He's he's been thinking about this, you know those those confession scenes that are both hilarious but poignant, 
And he's he's basically admitting there that he fears death and he fears that it's coming quicker than he thinks. I don't think that there's like, you know, like he has a diagnosis or anything, but it's almost it's a self-diagnosis. It's a self-diagnosis and a realization that I'm towards the last chapter of my life. I need to make some sort of an impact because then what is the point of this world? What is the point of this life? And I can't I, I can't keep made the mark I wanted to make. Yep. And Park, who was this wonderfully nice character, is led into darkness. Yeah, he's led kind of into that darkness and it's led into some pretty devastating parts as well, too. I mean, you know, he he has to say goodbye. And I think of those shots of him by himself in his house. That's that's calm. He's by himself. He doesn't have anyone. And so then it leads to anger and anger leads to violence and violence leads to frustration and violence leads to ends in which it it's harmful to so many people, you know, and instead of just respecting one's wishes, curiosity kills the cat mm-hmm. and then set and then it kills somebody else in this the movie it kills, it kills the donkey <laughs> it kills dominic it kill it has a domino effect it kills their relationship and like because there's you mentioned it there's the civil war angle to it and very much i mean we feel like you know because we're such at arms every day that we're on the verge of that in every country and yet by the end of the film it's like we are left in a state of what's going to happen But I want to just mention Dominic again. He is one of the saddest characters I've seen in a while. He's not the brightest, the son of the local police chief, Mm -hmm. who's just a sadist. He beats. I'm Bruce Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast. Dominic, and there's innuendo of actually sexually abusing him as mm-hmm. well. Dominic has this beautiful scene where he seems to profess his love to Siobhan, which just gutted me. Dominic, to me, is almost a Shakespearean character who mm-hmm. that right in mm-hmm. front of them is someone who's actually going through total hell and who's still trying to reach out. I see it that he actually kills himself um i'm not sure how you see it i think you can see that very differently because you don't actually see how he dies he is as you mentioned a character in which like there's many worse things than losing your best friend in the world there's actual people struggling with abuse struggling with loneliness and depression struggling with the idea that they are in a world that they don't understand and they're very isolated they're very scared 
the fact that he keeps wanting to go over to Padraig and Siobhan's house and not wanting to be with his father. His father is abusive and nasty and vile. There's a moment when we see that Padraig tells off his father and his father punches Padraig. And it's the only time where, where the truce between the, these two men <laughs> between Colm and Padraig, you know, he picks him up and he, and he gets him in his, in his carriage, but then they don't speak the entire time because he knows that at that point, if he speaks to him, a digit's coming off and it's really sad because you just want to hear, you just want to hear them both say thank you and you're welcome for 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 caring for them and that's where it's like calm stubbornness is 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 in there too there's that that irish stubbornness that's in there as well where it's like i am firmly on this side and i'm not going to move but with with dominic he just wants a friend he just wants the normal things in life friendship a love a home a place in which he doesn't feel as if he is the punching bag. And that scene by the lake where he confesses his love to Carrie Condon is one of the most emotional scenes of the year because your heart breaks for him because it's so innocent. And yes, he's been a little shit the entire time in this movie. And that's kind of the point of it is that beauty can come from anywhere. And innocent, and he's an innocent person. It's not his fault. He doesn't and understand. And they're the ones that don't survive. Yeah, and they they yeah. don't survive in that. And really, in a lot of ways, they don't survive in our world. You know, and we and we talk about the tribal things and the trivial things, and his story is never told by so many people. And so it's it's you're right. It is Shakespearean. It's very tragic. It's the full then meets the the ultimate you know emotion and here's the thing for column and for Podrick, they don't really have any emotional impact about him to me it's it's all about his father and like what you know his father's guilt then at that point of what eh, what led to it but we don't see our main characters really in talk about it because no, and, and it's obvious that everyone knows what's going on yeah. With his father and, and a little complicit. And what he's doing to Dom. Exactly. There's also, talking about Shakespearean, there's also a character who's sort of a truth teller, an older woman mm. who basically predicts what's going to happen at the end. Yeah. What do you make of that character? Very Macbeth. Yes. Right? <laughs> very much, uh, <laughs> very leaning into those Shakespearean things. It, it's interesting because she kind of just starts off as this old woman that they're all, they're really don't want to run into because she's crazy but then they hide behind a, walls when she's yeah. coming <laughs> there's a method to the to the to the the madness is that um she's almost like the death toll you know she's 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 ringing a bell anytime that's around her and um and i think it's an interesting device uh too because uh, you know she is essentially the person that they don't want to see which is death and that's lingering throughout this entire film especially even for for calm and that's funny is that she doesn't really go near column a lot in the film it's 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 podrick it's um dominic's father 
it's it's Siobhan. It's everybody but the man who is afraid of death. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, in the beginning of the film, she predicts that two will die. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Because of and, this feud. And we think it's going to be the main players, but it's actually our supporting players. And one of them's not even human. No. You know? <laughs> Which is, I I think, one of the most, dev- another one of those most devastating things. Um, is what happens to Jenny because that is the last straw, and it's the most innocent of Jenny's all. The dog. Yes, it's the most innocent of them all, and the way in which she leaves the film is just—you sit there as an audience, and my audience did. I don't know about yours, and just went, "Oh my God, how in the world that a I not see that almost like a knives out twist," and be just feel so uh devastated it's very it's very much um that's why i think it's it's his best work since in bruges uh, on the screen because of the fact that it, it reminds me of how i felt in in bruges there are moments when you're when you are watching this film and you're going along and like you said you're laughing and then you're in pure shock you're sad you can't believe it and by the end of it, you really have to, you, you can't give an instant reaction to this movie. I think if anybody does, they're, no, they're sort can't. of, they're just sort of doing the film a disservice. This is a, this is one that in a long line, like you mentioned tar where this year, where we've had a lot of lingerers movies that you need to sit down and, and think, think about. about, you can't just, well, I liked it. I didn't like it. No, you need to, you need to sit with this one. And I think that that's an okay thing, but that's also part of our, culture and instant reactions i think mm. too oh yeah that you have to get that first twitter thing out first oh my god if you don't you know what i mean because one of the things is if you just explain to someone jenny the donkey parks donkey dies because she chokes on calm's chopped off finger and that Mm-mm. you were crying to that scene people are like really? <laughs> really i mean it's it sounds completely absurd but at that point Jenny the donkey represents, like Dominic, this innocence that's come between these civil war of these two guys. They are collateral damage. Mm -hmm. When Martin McDonough's good at that, he's an absolute master. Yeah. Of this absurdity mixed with with emotion. Also, that relationship, too, with Jenny is one of the key elements as to why Colm doesn't want to be Podrick's friend anymore. He's tired of hearing of these bloody donkey stories about your donkey shit, you know, and what it looked like. And it's the mundanity of having to hear those conversations over and over and over again. And yet you're on an island where none of y'all can read others other than Siobhan. And you have where nothing Colm other than himself dances with his dog. Yeah. And <laughs> It's not like he hates animals. You know what I mean? It's 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 the fact that he's he's triggered by the fact that Padraig is content with the life that he has. And that's why he doesn't want to leave. That's why he's he's actually kind of okay with Siobhan leaving, to be honest. He doesn't put up a fight or he doesn't he get angry. He understands it too, but he's not jealous of that because he's content. And I think that there's something that 
calm season that that elevates his depression and also the fact that I mean he does know that he's talented he does know that he really could he could have been someone with his music and now he doesn't have much time left he should have pursued that yeah and I mean and then there's the the idea of that he doesn't have other friendships he doesn't have a whole town where people really like him because Podrick is is sort of considered a little bit more simple and that's okay, you know, to be, you know, he's, you know, he's, he's just an innocent guy, you know. Well, Park and thought got, it was okay. Yeah. Now he all of a sudden was, he has doubts that he was exactly. his own well, simpleness. But also too, when we have things that break out of our routine, when we break, you know, when he's, he gets up, has breakfast with his sister, maybe does a little bit of stuff there, goes with his friend to the pub every single day. And they may be talking about the mundanity of life, but most of life is mundane. <laughs> most of it is those conversations about, you know, oh, you know, the, the goat crapped in my house or, oh, you know, she made a bad dinner or, oh, you know, uh, I tripped and fell over this hill or something stupid. Like there's not a lot of elegance. And, and you know, and I think that, you know, calm is 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 a is a jealous person a little bit when it comes to it. He's also understandable of wanting to capture as much time left as is possible and has regret there. Um, and I don't think he means to hurt Podrick in any sort of way, but the way he's doing it is to coming to that conclusion of cutting off completely instead of weaning it off a little bit. Is, but that's because he knows that that wouldn't work with Parik. I mean, well, I see and it's both not working. sides here. <laughs> and then it doesn't work in the film the way he does it either. So there's no way of of really doing it. that's why because, he feels he's you know, stuck. Exactly. And that's what makes Siobhan his sister that really knows that there's a life outside of Inishir and that I have to read and educate myself and, and, and not just be in these petty bullshit I mean, she loves her brother so much. Mm -hmm. Quite recently, we understand they've lost their parents. It's just mm -hmm. the two of them. Mm -hmm. It's not like Calm's like, I'm going to leave the island and play my fiddle. For he could have just left. Doesn't exactly. cut his fingers off. Take your fiddle. Go and go. Yes. But, it, but in a lot of ways, it's like what Siobhan says. You're all dull. You're all boring. And, and he just this wants to is... torture people with his own depression. Exactly. He I think that that's the that's the thing about Colm too that not a lot of people are talking about is the fact that he could have been like Siobhan. He could have left. He doesn't leave. He, I think he sadistically likes the attention, likes doing this in a weird way because it gives him something to be angry about, something to point his frustration out in the world on. And he does it to his innocent friend because he thinks because he knows him well enough to be able to take it out. I mean, I mean, there is the drunken um, monologue that Colin Farrell has uh, one night and it's where Colm himself really starts to respect the fact that this is, he's telling him you're finally standing up and speaking out for yourself. And then the next morning he doesn't remember a thing of it. And for that Brief moment, you think Calm's going to forgive him. They're going to go back to the way things were. He's going to understand. Da, 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 da. And it doesn't happen because he apologizes because he's nice. And it goes back to this thing of if you're an artist, do you need to be nice? Well, I think if Calm <laughs> was a character now, yeah, you need to be a little bit nice because history is not kind to those that are 
um, you know, the way that we get revisionist, I think a little bit nowadays, history is not kind to those who were treating others poor. And I think that, uh, you know, you mentioned Bergman. I mean, Hitchcock is another person that is deeply somebody that over the years has, has been reevaluated as like, yeah, he's a great director. He's a giant, he seemed like a <laughs> giant piece of shit. You know what I mean? And so, um, you know, I, I think also too, yeah, it's just, it's a, it's about putting that grief and that pain on others and not even maybe knowing it or thinking it's okay. And I think of those scenes in the confessional as ones that I'm like, the priest understands that like this, you're not getting any better, you know, by doing this. And he even admits it too. It's not very nice, is it? And he doesn't even listen to the priest. Who is the person that kind of inspired him to get the idea of going into the music and making something about himself too? So it's, it's very, he's a very complex and interesting character other than I just don't want to be friends with you anymore. There's a He's lot of layers to it. very complicated and interesting, but also not because, I mean, compared <laughs> to Siobhan, what he really is is a coward. I mean, he yes. could have left and she's leaving for a woman, especially, to pick mm -hmm. up and leave. And I think that he's also just feeling incredibly calm. I mean, frustrated with himself and it's, it's too late. And I didn't do what I wanted to really should have done with my life. Well, you're right about Siobhan, too, because of the fact that she is educated. She is sort of taking care of these two blundering idiots throughout the entire film, and even Dominic to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. But it is about, you know, this small town of all these people that are so um, gossipy and so into everyone's lives because they don't have anything else because, you know, they kind of have to stay there now because of this war going on. But when she, she, there's not a big parade or anything. She gets her books, she gets her bags, and she leaves. And people around town sort of like, oh, she left. And then it's just kind of, she, she goes. And it's brave, it's bold. It's also about, you know, too, is, is that she probably had to take care of her parents the same way she's taking care of Podrick. And she's just tired of it. And she's young enough to be able to take this position and you know be able to say i need to take control of my life and not have you know a donkey in my dining room table is not where i want to be the rest of my life taking care of you is not she my, leaves you know. parrick yeah she asks him to come and he doesn't mm -hmm. want to, you know, Calm could have also left Park, but instead he's just give, <laughs> just torturing no. him. It's also curious as we're talking about this, and I'm kind of curious to, to hear what you have to say to this, but the movie is talking about being nice. It's not nice. It's not nice. And I think back to her scene with Dominic by the river. She lets him down very nicely. She lets him down very nicely. And look what nice niceties do to somebody. That last moment of, no, I don't think that's going to happen because she has her own plan. And it doesn't involve being married to, to Dominic. Not that she wouldn't probably if, you know, she stayed and took the time. But she lets him down very gently and very innocently. And what happens? 
as a result of that is this boy for better or worse i I think we can assert that he takes his own life Mm -hmm. and it's so damn tragic but it's also the the i think what mcdonough is also talking about is that there's no way around these hard decisions of life and whether you're nice or whether you're cowardly or whether you're rude you know those band-aids are eventually going to get ripped off and there will be a little bit of damage his damage is not just because he can't be with her i mean he is no, such a it's damaged a, it's a, soul yeah it's a building of that damage. perhaps the last straw maybe but also mm-hmm. we very much understand and and from my point of view i'm very happy that she makes the decision not to throw her own life away Mm -hmm. um, for these people, be they innocent or be they her brother and, and make something, you know, follow something that she wants to do for these men. Yes. Mm -hmm. And, and what she wants to do is in no way egotistical. It's in no way anything. She goes to be a teacher. I I believe if I remember Mm -hmm. correctly, I mean, it's just that making that decision is painful and, and, you have to really have some bravery to be able to do something like that. And that's what Calm realizes that he never did and takes it out on everyone else, including himself, I would say. No, for sure. But then, uh, I mean, there's this, when all the dust sort of settles um, from all these outcomes that have been happening in the film, the murders or the deaths or, or however... And it is, and it does become, I think, the film we all thought it was going to be, which is Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson showing down. It does show that through pain and depression and the and the sense of isolationism, that we can become very vicious creatures. And I think the way in which Podrick responds because of the loss of Jenny, because of the loss of Siobhan, because of the loss of everything around him, his innocence being almost taken away by his best friend by this community, by the events that have been happening, by five fingers being thrown at your door. His response is so angry and it is very human to want to throw all that pain and all that angst that then calm through at him, throw it right back. But he's still so innocent and he's still takes the dog and doesn't feel like there's any more retaliation. Maybe. I mean, that's the great thing about the ending is, is there going to be more of this? Yeah. What do you make of that? The ending? I think they're, I think it's done to be honest. I thought that there was going to be a moment um, when, the, when, <laughs> when Colin was going to need a place to stay and Podrick was going to put him up and then they were going to be like in Bruges, they were going to be living together. Um, and it was oh, going to then drive him completely the other. I, I see it as the civil with you can never go back to. No, the you know, that was. I thought, no, that's what I was saying is I thought at a certain point that was going to happen. But then the more I thought about it, I'm like, no, that's too neat of an ending. It is this. It'll be a battle that they fight. It'll be cannons going off every single time they're around each other. And it's just curious if the collateral damage will then be on the rest of this town and the rest of these people. And when will one of them 
essentially grow up and admit that each other might be also the most toxic thing that has ever happened to their lives. Mm -hmm. There's no examination uh, more than, than realizing that it might just be best for you to move on from that relationship instead of fighting it. And also too, they could just pull little pranks on each other because that might be what is the rest of their life. He's done writing, Colm's done writing the song, which is the ample title, Banshees of Inishirin. And so he has his purpose. Mm -hmm. Do they become friends? I don't know. It's kind of hard when you kill one's pet and then you kill one and then you burn someone's house to the ground. You literally burned wood, essentially burned a bridge. You know what I mean? So it's, I don't know. You sort of start thinking that maybe this will be a turnaround for him, but it's not. Well, it's the same thing about Podrick. It's like after the first figure, you didn't think to stop. You know what I mean? Like you didn't. And I, I love also too is there's that great scene with the dog with his dog, where the dog takes the shears away because he knows what's about to come. But you as the audience know, yeah, he's gonna cut off those yeah. fingers. You know what I mean? But it's also too there's consequences to those actions because of Jenny. It's that the these, and then the burning of the house. There will be a consequence that we don't see. And it, it, I think McDonough's talking a lot about how we respond to hard things in our life and that violence and anger and frustration instead of forgiveness and understanding, to me, are the real ways of handling this situation. If Podrick just understands mm-hmm. and isn't curious like every human would be on the planet. Or has his answer. He has his answer by the time the first finger is cut off. If he just lets it go, then they would be fine. But the problem is also, too, they live in such a small location. It's hard. It's not like you and I, where we live in giant cities and, you know, the the possibility of seeing somebody. Yeah. And I'm not going to see you probably nine times out of 10 for the rest of my life. You know what I mean? But these people have to walk the same damn paths every single day. It's ingrained in them. It's a part of them. But I don't think that would bother Calm. I think he would. Oh, no, it doesn't bother him. What bothers Podrick is just the fact that he doesn't understand why. Yeah. I mean, that's it. It's just like this little mosquito that's like, and he'll he'll bother everyone with this until he understands what the problem is. This movie, in, in terms of, of Martin McDonough's, as a filmmaker, um, visually writing, how, where do you see this in his canon, so to speak? I have to admit that I don't know much about, I haven't seen any of his plays live mm-hmm. or anything. Yeah. So for me, it's mostly his f- film work. Yeah, I'm the same way. I have not seen a lot of his uh, his uh, written stuff for the stage. Um but I, I mean, like all of us, I mean, I remember seeing in Bruges, um, I was probably way too young when it came out, to be honest with you. Um, but I remember just thinking that movie was hilarious and sad and, and very, and very much just like this movie where it has platitudes that, um, you have to dig deep. And then seven psychopaths was a movie that I was very much looking forward to. And I think is, I think is unlike anything else in his filmography because it's so, stylized in and i think it takes the humor of 
in Bruges and it does that particularly well, but then it's sort of like its themes aren't really as explored or as interesting. Yeah, it feels almost like um like a Tarantino knockoff. And, you know, kind of like, you know, via like a Guy Ritchie vehicle almost too. And yet it just is devoid of like the, the emotional, the sentimentality of, of, of what his movies are in. then there's three billboards, which was a movie. When I first saw it, I was like, wow, that's like a movie for the time. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, maybe not so much. And then I, and then I watched it again and there's no denying that his dialogue is extraordinary. He's, I mean, he's known for his playwriting abilities and his dialogue, but the conversations that he's having in those films, I don't, in that film particularly, I think is, I think it's interesting from one character, which is the Francis McDormand character, and who's amazing. A lot of that pain, who is powerful, powerful performance. I need to have to say. No, I agree. I agree. She's she's incredible in that film. And I think like the first half of that movie is is very on point. And then I think the second half is where it falls apart. Um I don't hate it. Like I think people um nowadays, you know, like you have to it once again goes back to tribalism. You either have to love or hate a movie and there's no complexity in the middle. I'm very much in the middle on it. Like give me a day and I'm like, yeah, you know, I'll defend it. I think it's not bad. And then there's other days where I'm like, yeah, that's not a good movie. So like, you know, it's, I, I sway back and forth with that one. And I just fundamentally think, like I said earlier, it's a movie where the author doesn't, I think fully understand the area in which he's trying to write. There's a lot of things he's trying to say in that movie. That movie. I just remember seeing it with a packed house, three billboards and just, Ugh. It was it played so well in the room. It was like they it was right around Thanksgiving too when I saw it, or right around the holidays. And I remember seeing and going like, "Yeah, I think I'm in. I think you got to be in like a kind of an angry mood for that movie. It's a really angry movie. Um, and this one, I don't think is you know. Like, I think this, and the more I think about it, it might be his best. To be honest oh, with so, you, too. because 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 it. It has that history of, of him and Gleason and, and Pharaoh, but then it also has all these other platitudes. It feels so personal, you know. And for for a while, I I wondered if he could get back to this. I wonder if he had, you know, it gotten too big for his britches. And I think the best thing for a director to ever do is to go home, make up an imaginary island, evidently, <laughs> and uh, and start talking about you know fingers and you know. I'm always curious. And like, I wanted if I ever asked him, I was like, "Were toes going to be the next thing yes. that he was going to cut off? I mean, we wouldn't leave him alone. How far are we going to go?" But no, I I think that he's better in the mold of telling smaller ideas, stories, and embracing than uh, those characters and branching out the ideas from there. Like in Bruges, about these two guys in this small town, this fairy tale town, you know, <laughs> then turns into this whole thing about grief and depression and regret. And this is very much in that same vein too um, of those. And I think that what's weird is like, these are his more European, you know, films and where he's, cause he's a very European, you know, he's a very, uh, you know, uh, you know, UK sort of figure. And then when he's branched off into, I'm going to tell stories in America, I don't think that they necessarily worked out for the best for him. And so, and so I think kind of write what you know, some, you know, we all get a problem with this. I think where people 
say, well, maybe you should, shouldn't write what you know. Maybe you should branch out or maybe you should work with different actors. Or if you're a, a, you know, a, you know, a white director, you should work with more people of color. And yes, you should, but also don't just do it. So then you can fit somebody else's quota. You should be writing what's the best story you can write. And I think that he is a perfect example of somebody that is trying to write about race in America and doesn't know the full on conversation about it, trying to write about, you know, things going on in a country that you can see from across the pond, but unless you live here and experience it, it's two totally different things. And so you, he knows about this guilt. He knows about these frustrations. I mean, because these are more universal themes that you can explore in something like Banshees of Inisherin. And so that's why I think it, it plays better in his hands to do that than to try to reach out. It's such a beautiful little movie. I mean, the location <laughs> helps. Oh, my that. God. Cinematography, Carter Burwell's music, and nothing overpowers anything else. You know, it's not like he's doing waves smashing against rocks to, to symbolize <laughs> something. It just what needs to be there is there. The there's a maturity in not doing too much and not doing too little that just, for me, made it this perfect package technically as well. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to say that being in a relationship with one of the great writers that we have in the modern era and Phoebe Waller-Bridge doesn't help you inspire yourself you, you to wanna want to come with me to that dinner, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'll be your plus one. Yeah, let's go to that. No, I mean, like, I think when you, when genius is around genius, I think it helps. Like I think Noah Baumbach and, and Greta Gerwig, they, they help each other out immensely and inspire one another. I think when you have another creative person in your life, it does that. And it also too, it then centers you and you want to bring it back home. And I think work, I think, you know, if you all the bridge, I mean, everything she touches is gold. You know what I mean? There's, there, you know, even, I could even tell last year in the Bond script where she was and where the rest of the film wasn't. You know what I mean? Because she just has such a distinctive style and humor Talk and emotionality to her. Crying and laughing right? at the same time. And also the reunion of Farrell and Gleason, who just mm. are acting off each other. And you know just seeing them on the talk show circuit <laughs> and, and these interviews they've been doing, you know that these two seem to just love each other. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad that Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson, one, that they're back together with McDonough because I mean, maybe they should just work together in general because that's when it all I'm fine with seems that. to collect. <laughs> it all seems to click. Um, but, but they talked about on the circuit, I think I saw them with Stephen Colbert and they talked about how they almost were going to play method this entire time um, of not talking to one another. And I think the first day they got on set that that sort of squandered and squashed and good. And, and I was like, thank God, because what a miserable experience that would have been to go method on this one. Um, but weirdly enough, like, <laughs> I don't know if you felt like this, but because they're such close friends, because McDonough and them have this great relationship together. There was always that tinge of weakness that I felt like 
they're going to wink to the camera a little bit or they're going to they're not going to go too hard on one another, even though that these characters are very hard because it's like there's these best friends in real life. It's very hard. You understand Colin Farrell immediately. You're like, yeah. what? Well, well, this we know this is your almost a father figure for you. What, so your what's buddy. Going on? Yeah. yeah. Like, what are you doing? They're so good in this movie too. It's it's it's, it's an embarrassment of riches. And you mentioned Carter Burwell's score, oh. which is just incredible. The the Ben Davis's cinematography, which it's like it's kind of hard to make a movie in in Ireland look bad but but the way in which it's done here and it and almost like even though they're on an island it feels so enclosed at times there's it's almost like there's only few places to escape and so the tension i think between the conversations really build up and um the i think the production the clothing the production design it's it's it, it's insane just like the little but it's all detailed it's all detailed to these to these characters specifically and uh, yeah, it's it's across the board. It's his best work to date. Before I end up to talk a little bit about how you feel about its awards chances, is there any theme or anything that I we skipped over that you wanted to talk about? Or I think ultimately the movie, maybe this is the, the final thing I take with by the end, is that even though these two are going to possibly fight for the rest of them, deep down inside, I think by the end there is a different different point of view for for Calm in that I think he now understands that his friend is experiencing the same things that he is going to. So maybe there is reconciliation. There's gonna still be a lot more fighting. Will there be a ceasefire? I don't know. There's a ceasefire by the end of this war um uh, that's going on in this country. But is there a ceasefire? amongst these friends in a while i don't know it time heals all wounds and so um i like that he doesn't wrap it up i like yeah, that he that leaves it like that because most of these issues don't resolve themselves you know quickly if ever so yeah i think it's i think it's an interesting it's such an interesting movie it really is yeah and another thing i wanted i thought about a lot the weeks after seeing it is try to not live your life with any regrets. Yeah. So what do you think of its awards chances? I'm going to put this out today. I think this is going to be the parasites of the year. Really? Um, the Oscars. There's a lot of incredible movies, you know, there's Tar and there's just, but I have not met anyone who does not feel so many feels from mm -hmm. this movie and has so much to say and just falls in love with these characters and is shocked and elated the same way I felt that people were talking about Parasite and the run up to it that everyone wanted to talk about it and everyone thought it was good mm -hmm. the script these two actors I think it even could take a best picture because I don't think it's divisive I think Tar is divisive. It, it, it's the Fablemans that's there that you and I talked about last time that I haven't seen yet that could be the sort of also the feel-good movie of the year. But I think it has a really big chance. I, I think that you are dead right about this movie. I've had a feeling since I've seen it. I think we were very close to him winning Best Picture the last time for three billboards outside of Missouri, but that movie was divisive mm -hmm. and uh, shape of water that overtook it because of its 
more traditional, even though it's like, you know, it's a woman having sex with a fish kind of movie. <laughs> um, that movie, when when you when you strip it down, it's a Beauty and the Beast sort of love story. So it's 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 not. It's a Beauty and the Beast love story done by the way of Guillermo del Toro. So it's, you know, it's and Guillermo is so loved. And loved oh, I mean, you put him in a room, it's done. Like people, it was like they melt in his in, in the palm of his hand like butter, you know. But and and McDonald's a little bit more of a prickly character by some people's estimation. Even though people love his work and love working with him, it's one of those like you gotta get to know him. Once you get to know him, then you'll love him, sort of and thing. Also, the movies and, have uh, themes, but, you know, of rape and race, yeah, and things like race that. And, which yeah, it was a not the hard same. one to chew. Loving yeah. a fish <laughs> is <laughs> chewable. It's it's, it's yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, <laughs> I see what you did there. Um, I think this is that, um, hopefully I will be seeing the Fablemans very, very, very soon. So I can, uh, and then uh, maybe back. we'll have a conversation about that and I will have to report back, but I can, I can say this is that right now I, I've been having this feeling that the Fablemans is the biggest placeholder for so many people. Now, for me, I have gone against the grain all year, um, my early prediction still remains the same. I have women talking winning best picture. I think that that's a movie that is not divisive either and has, you know, is as relevant as a movie as you can, especially in the United States um, with the, you know, the reversal of Roe v. Wade and everything like this movie is, I haven't heard anybody say a bad thing about it other than like some color grading issues, which is like, get over yourself. Like, you know, what is the movie saying? You know, and if you could hear, if you're paying attention to what it says, then I think you'll be fine. But I, I agree with you. Banshees of Inishirin falls in a category of films that I've been at multiple film festivals, both awardsy and non-awardsy people, and they've absolutely ate this movie up. And I think it's extremely accessible. I think there is a world where it is a massive contender for original screenplay. I mean, obviously, you're going to go up against... Tony Kushner and Spielberg for the Fablemans and the Daniels for everything everywhere all at once, which I think is that film. A lot of people feel like that is the, the movie in which, you know, everyone is putting their eggs in the basket of like, that'll be the parasite of this year. And, and I'm, I'm more inclined to see that the, the, that everything everywhere all at once is, is the, it's like, Oh, it's, it's good that that got the nominations, but it's very hard for a movie like that to get embraced entirely by the Academy. Um, I could be wrong about it, but I just, it's one of those I'm, I'm, this one feels more like in their will, in their, in their wheelhouse. And I, I have Brendan Gleeson right now winning supporting actor. Um, I think Colin Farrell in a just world would beat Brendan Fraser for best actor because, um, I'm not as big a fan as the whale as others are. I still like Fraser a lot in the film, but I think, the depths and platitudes that Farrell is doing in this movie is extraordinary. And he's also had a fantastic year of any in his career. You have his supporting turn as the penguin and the Batman, which he's great in. And then you have after Yang, the Koganata film, which he's extraordinary also as well in that film. And then you have this where it's just like, Dude, stop making good performances in the year of 2022. It's it's embarrassing.
and he's due and you can say that Brendan Fraser is due as well but then that's an incredible comeback story narrative mm -hmm. but I think this one has humor that warmth and humor between these absurdities and between the tears is something that I really think may give it the mm -hmm. edge and may give a performance um, the edge as well women talking does surprisingly have some moments of humor in it but and it's and it's a, it's a, it's a little bit like a re reprieve during these beautiful elegant conversations that Sarah Polly's writing in this screenplay but then there's also this screenplay that McDonough's writing here where he's got those same platitudes of of grief and despair mixed with this humor and it's in I don't know people I've talked to as well nobody hates this movie and that's great for it I mean you mentioned it like there's some I don't think it tar is as divisive as people think it is in the industry. People love it. And that's really all that matters. I, I could care less about people online when it comes to certain things like this, because I don't think online translates to really what the Oscars and that voting Academy love. It's what people are saying. And I think if you love Kate, you love the film and, and then therefore I think that film's going to do it's more power it, of the dog. It's not, I, I, I don't know. I don't know because people, people, but but also too like that doesn't that doesn't matter. I'm not saying it's going to win best picture, but I think it, it matters from the standpoint of like being a movie that people have on their top ten list and people go back and think that one's also a lingerer. When women talking are lingerer, I I don't know how much to the Fableman's sort of lingering quality. I mean, we also live in a year where everybody thinks that like six thousand blockbusters are going to get nominated for best picture, and it's <laughs> and 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 uh, I'm a little bit like Eric. I think some are a little higher than others, but I don't see you know I, I mean there's a world where you, people don't want to hear this but like the way everything everywhere all at once is now it's kind of a blockbuster at this point because it's a phenomenon it's very get outish but that you know that movie underperformed and and didn't wasn't as cross the board contender one one won the screenplay for jordan peele and that was it for that film and i think people need to be cautious of the fact that well, a movie like Everything Everywhere All at Once has its absurdity, has its emotions and everything. It's not necessarily as grounded as a movie like Banshees of Inisherin, And that plays better for Academy voters than the movie with butt plugs and dildos. Yes. And sausage and, and and sausage fingers. So, you know, it's it's so but also I really in the in the 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 category that I think it could do show a sign of strength. Besides production design, which I think is really good, and the cinematography and um, and, and and Carter Burwell's score, which is very much high up there, um, and I think McDonough right now is one of the three directors in director for me that I'm safe to say. Like I think Spielberg, Sarah Pauly, and Martin McDonough are the are the safe bets because um, I think this is a top three contender in picture right now. But if you want to know how well um, Banshees of Inisherin is doing is when it starts getting to the critics' bodies and it starts getting to the awards. If Carrie Condon and Barry Keegan are there in those lineups and they pull two supporting actors and that supporting actress nom, which is very easy for them to do. Nobody really saw the Woody Harrelson thing coming until it started coming. Um, then at that point, you've you've. You've got we something know, there. The trajectories. Yeah. Oh yeah. Because if they when they like something, they really like it. And those movies usually don't go home empty handed. And 
I'm not saying that there's like an, usually there's never like the Academy sort of going, Oh, we owe you one or, or whatnot. But this is kind of like a movie too, where, where it fits the time. And then the it more does. I've been thinking about it, it's like Banshees and women talking fit our time right now. And I think the best way to award Spielberg and the Fablemans in, in my mind, and this is pre-seeing it is director because it's such a his project and everything but in terms of picture i it's gonna be hard pressed to see anybody put this low on their ballot and that place is really well for it and it's also an embarrassment of riches because all the movies you're talking about if everything everywhere all at once wins the oscar i mean let's i mean we're a living party. in a well, yeah <laughs> so. we're, if, if that wins it's it you know i gotta say we've you know people have been sort of maligning this year like we've had some really good movies coming out um, that people are going to see like, you know, the Fablemans, everybody's, you know, up in arms about that out of how much they love it. And, you know, women talking and um, obviously Tars out right now, this film Banshees of Inishir and decision to leave, which is another film that I absolutely loved. And then, you know, if, if, if everything everywhere all at once is able to pull the, the full year on campaign, cause it would be a full year from, mm -hmm one south by southwest premiere to when the oscars happen it is the weekend of south by southwest again i mean that would be an insane run unlike anyone's ever seen then there's the the wildness of what if a blockbuster wins what if it's top gun maverick you know and i know that i love eric i love you eric but you know we've we've been a little bit low on on the blockbusters right now just because we don't know but that one also name a person who's hated top gun maverick you know what I mean? So like, <laughs> I think that's at play, but, and also just the fact that the Oscars have come to this point where we're seriously discussing movies with flying dildos and butt plugs and, and mm -hmm. people cutting their fingers off to make a point about life. They're changing. They're changing right in front of us every single year. I mean, yes, Coda wins um, best picture last year over something like power of the dog. But they think that that movie is very important, and it is a very important film, um, you know. And I, it's not a green book by any stretch of the imagination. For me, like there are better movies in that lineup, and I wish that those would have won. But Coda is not a terrible movie. It's not one of the worst movies to ever win Best Picture. See Tom Jones, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? So, um, <laughs> but uh, but. Within that, you get nomad lands and parasites and moonlights yeah, and spotlights and shape it. of waters. So, so it's like it's it's. I think we're in that kind of realm where there are five or six movies that are the, some of the best reviewed films of the year, and if those win Best Picture, you know, I think that'd be great. But I also know people live kind of like these characters in Banshees. They live in a tribalistic, taking a side sort of exactly. world, and they'll pick their sides. And I and uh, it's already been kind of inseparable. I've seen some of it online, and I just I shake my head because it's like, you know what? Maybe you do deserve Banshees of Inisherin to win. So then you can watch that movie and understand exactly how you're talking about movies as a commodity, but also as an awards commodity. Instead of just talking about them like you and I have today, or like Eric does with me, or or whatnot just enjoy the movie first the award stuff we'll get to that later mm. you know what i mean so but yeah if it does if banshees does win i'm gonna give you all the credit um for saying <laughs> it out loud but also 
we get that dinner with Phoebe. We yeah, and that's and you and that's I the, will. Be- and then Eric will be on the outside of the glass of the of the of the and restaurant going like I, let me in and we'll be like oh sorry we have already ordered drinks it's too late <laughs> you know ryan thank you so much for another really fun conversation and like it's gonna be exciting to follow this straight line trajectory to all kinds of good things yeah no it's it's oh god it's gonna be so crazy yeah. there's just we're not even out of phase one. Like phase one is is almost done next week with the with the film festivals at AFI, and then and then we get into the the campaigning and the guilds and the critics and all that stuff. It's oh, it's fun, but I know how exhausting it's going to be. So yes, but I tell tell the listeners where they can find you and follow you. Well, you can find me over at awardswatch.com. I'm the executive editor over there, alongside. Uh, other favorite guest on the show, Mr. Eric Anderson, mm-hmm. who's our editor in chief. And uh, I have reviews and interviews over there. I have a ton of interviews that just recently came out with like Brendan Fraser and Edward Berger and Florian Zeller and Nina Haas for Tar. So um, please go and read those when, when you get the chance. Uh, they were fascinating conversations. Um, and uh, we also have the Awards Watch podcast that's over there. Um, we, we, uh, along with the staff members, Eric and myself, we, we, we talk about all the stuff in the race. We also do listener questions and we try to throw in a game or two every day, every now and then that, uh, the staff hates, but it's, it's fun to, to hear them cry. And then, um, uh, over at in session film, you can find some of my work over there where I do the extra film podcast. We're in the middle of a Martin Scorsese movie series right now. We're about wrapping that up. And then. But to end the year, we're going to do a Frank Capra movie series. And the last episode of the year will be It's a Wonderful Life. And, who you know, and so it's a great way to end the year. And then Merry I also Christmas, do. I know. <laughs> and then uh, the playlist and film speak and a bunch of other places. And you can find me on Twitter if you still want to be a part of Twitter at Ryan McQuaid 77. And that's the same on Instagram and on Letterboxd. Ryan, thank you so much. Oh, this was this was a blast. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.